The Victory Formation Podcast is brought to you by Pilgrim Roasters. Pilgrim Roasters is a roastery and coffee shop located at 4120 Main Street in Maniunk, Philadelphia. Pilgrim Roasters specializes in unique coffees from all over the world, brought specially to you in-store and online at www.pilgrimroasters.com. Take 10% off your first order with Pilgrim Roasters when typing in promo code GOODSOUP10 at checkout and figure out what all the buzz is about. You know something? No soup for you! Come back one year! We both have so much in common. We both love soup. Soup's not a meal. You're supposed to buy me a meal. I'm not stopping you from eating. Go ahead and eat. Get anything you want. That's a lot of soup. That's a lot of soup. It looks delicious. Soup. What's up, everybody? It is Friday, April 1st, Final Four weekend. Very excited to check out these games. We got Duke versus North Carolina. We got Nova versus Kansas. We're going to get into breaking down the games, but just to start off, Finney, what are your thoughts on the Final Four? So I'm going to start my thoughts with a question to you. Which game, just three-word answer from you, which game is bigger, Duke-UNC or Villanova-Kansas? Duke-UNC. Okay, I don't disagree. Yeah. The fact that Villanova, Kansas, before that game, like it's almost like I, I've heard people say it's, it's the appetizer to the Duke-UNC game. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, the Duke-UNC game is going to go one of two ways. Either Coach K is going to make the championship in his last year or North Carolina is going to knock Coach K out on his retirement tour. And either way – there will be tears and it will be delicious. It will be more delicious if North Carolina wins. I don't think that's going to happen. We'll get into it, but yeah, I, I would love to see coach K get knocked out by his most bitter rival. And, it, and it's like Villanova, Kansas, bro. I it's know. an incredible game. I mean, outside of the injury that happens to Novus, but it's still yeah, the Justin Moore injury puts a little bit of a damper on that game, but you know, we'll break the games down. I, I still think Nova has a really good chance. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. Let's, let's get into it. Cool. So let's start with Duke, North Carolina. I think this is a classic example of slow versus fast. Duke plays at 17.6 seconds as an average possession length. That's 181st in the country. North Carolina plays at 17.1 average possession length. You think, oh, that's only five-tenths of a second faster, but North Carolina ranks 75th in the country at possession length, so those tenths of a second do matter over time. I really think this game comes down to neither team forces turnovers on defense, but North Carolina is even worse at it. Duke rebounds the ball a little bit better. Paulo Bencaro is going to be matched up um, directly with Amando Baycott. And I just think like Baycott's a big guy. He's a good rebounder, but Bencaro's way more skilled. And North Carolina's going to rely on Caleb Love to make all their shots, as we've seen in this tournament. They shoot a lot of threes. They don't shoot particularly well from three. And I, Duke's one and one against them. We know they lost the last game of the regular season, but I don't know. I, I think the way Duke's playing right now, they just have an edge. They're number one in adjusted efficiency on offense in the country, and that's mostly due to the tournament so far. They've played Arkansas, Texas Tech, and Michigan State, beaten all of those teams 
Whereas North Carolina's beaten St. Peter's, UCLA, and Baylor. And yeah, the Baylor wins, that, that's a good win, but Baylor was hurt down the stretch and didn't play well in that game. UCLA win was good. They're a really good team. And then St. Peter's by 20 is like, yeah, they beat St. Peter's. So I don't know. Um, the matchup predictor on Ken Palm has Duke winning 79-75. I could see a score in the realm of that. I think Duke's going to tear this game open at the end. I've been wrong all postseason, so I don't know. But North Carolina doesn't defend the three well, and Duke does shoot the three well. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the game? I think Duke just has a better roster, in my opinion, from like just eye tests. Um, Roach, really good. He, he shoots a nice three ball. Um, Wendell Moore, um, Williams. Uh, I mean, obviously, Paolo. He projected lottery pick, really good. Um, on the bench, I mean, they got Daniel Jones's brother, uh, Edge, Edge Factor, kid six eight. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but I really just think this is like a better player. Like the, the better players were on the floor, and they're on the floor for Duke. Um, I you know, UNC made it to the Final Four, but that's really my biggest edge. Yeah, North Carolina's interior defense just isn't very good. Like, if UCLA could have made some mid-range shots and driven to the hoop and made some layups, they would have won that game. And we talked about that game ad nauseum. I'm not going to keep going on and on. But if they're going to shoot 10 for 31 from three, they're going to lose this game by 20 points. I don't think they're going to shoot 10 for 31 from three. But, uh, yeah, North Carolina, they play at a faster pace. They're not as efficient. And I think I put it in the notes, but, like, efficiency versus volume. Duke is very efficient. They don't take a ton of shots. They make a lot of their shots. They're number one in adjusted efficiency rate in the country on offense. Carolina is not very efficient. They shoot a lot of shots. They throw a lot of volume at you. I don't know if that's going to work against Duke. I think that worked against UCLA because UCLA can't counter that. But I think Duke, while being a slow team, can play at a fast pace as we've seen in this tournament. And I think they have an edge in this game. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, when it comes to coaching, like we've been – just taking fat dumps on coach K all tournament long. I don't really think, I don't really know how much he's done in terms of coaching. I think it's been just a lot of the better players are on the court for Duke. Yeah. And he's going to coach Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis has not had a good tournament coaching. And and it's like UNC. They're an eight seed. They are UNC, but like, when is their run going to, going to end, you know, like should like, I don't know if anyone had them in the final four. No. Like, and I, I do think in Duke, North Carolina, you throw the seed out the window, but I think a lot of that Duke loss at home was, you know, the coach K sucking his own dick at midcourt before and after the game and putting a lot of pressure on those players. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know if there's going to be that type of pressure. Now that Duke's been there, done that beaten really good teams playing a team for the third time. And when teams play for the third time, a lot of time talent wins and Duke has more talent. Yeah, and you're thinking like in that last game of the, of the season, all the pressure was on Duke. 200 former players are coming back. These high school, you know, 18 to 22 year olds are on the court with everyone watching now. And, and in that game, UNC didn't really have a ton of pressure. It was like, yeah, we're playing Duke. This, they're supposed to win. Let's just go out there and ball. But now UNC is in the final four. Like, but both teams have an, have an immense amount of pressure. 
it's, yeah, not it's like, almost flipped now where, yeah, Duke still probably has more pressure because of Coach K, but North Carolina to knock off Coach K in this moment and they can't play the no one expected us to be here card because if you get to the Final Four and you're North Carolina, you don't get to play that card. Sorry, yep. it just doesn't work. Um, exactly. Yep. I think North Carolina might have the best player on the court in Caleb Love, but Ben Caro is going to be the top pick in the draft and he's been really good in the tournament. Like you said, Roach has stepped up. Other guys for Duke have stepped up. I think they're going to slow the pace down and give North Carolina trouble because UCLA did that. They played a half-court game, and for all but the last minute of the game, they led. So I, I think if it comes to a late-game scenario where they have to hit some shots like UCLA could not do, Duke's going to be able to do that, and they're going to be able to hang on and win. Yep, I agree. Cool. Let's move on to the second game. We got Villanova versus Kansas. The big storyline heading to this game, Villanova guard Justin Moore is out. He tore his Achilles in the last game. He was second in points and second in assists on the team. By all metrics, he was their best defender. Caleb Daniels is going to start in his place, but Caleb Daniels plays 78% of the bench minutes for Nova. That means they're going to have to play the younger Archie Diacono kid, who's not very good, a significant amount of minutes on the bench. A lot of people are on Kansas in this game. I just want to give you the avenue for victory for Nova. Nova's one of the slowest teams in the country. They're 349th in pace. Their average possession length is 19.9. Kansas, on the other hand, average possession length 16.4. They're 40th in the country. Pretty even. Nova's offensive efficiency is ninth. Their defensive is 17th. Kansas' offensive efficiency is 7th. Defensive is 18th. The main difference for me is the pace of play and free throws. Nova's the best free throw shooting team in the country. They shoot 83% from the line, and Kansas is 164th. They shoot 71.9% from the line. I don't know outright who I would pick in this game. We'll get into the line in Finney's betting corner. Um, but all the metrics are pretty even. I mean, Nova doesn't get interior blocks, but you know they do defend the perimeter well. More being out is going to hurt them there. But if they can slow Kansas down and limit turnovers, which lead to transition opportunities, I, I think they're in good shape. I mean, they're battle-tested. They beat Houston, Michigan, Ohio State. And Kansas has beaten Miami, Providence, and Creighton. And they looked bad against Creighton and Providence in the second half. And yes, that second half versus Miami was outstanding. But that was really the first really good half of basketball they've played in the tournament. So I, I want to get your thoughts uh, on this game. So uh, something that you know I've harped on for a while is depth. I don't like teams that really have no depth. And especially with Villanova now that this injury happened, Ah, their depth is really, really slim. And the storyline that I'm going to be looking at is what foul trouble does Villanova get yes. in in the first half and ultimately the second half where if guys start fouling out. You know, Jay Wright was on the Francesa radio show this week, and like he, he was talking about how guys through seven, eight, and nine, he thought they were out of the rotation, so he stopped playing them. Now you're yeah. in the final four and these guys that weren't good enough during the regular season and, and tuning up for the tournament. Now they're going to have to play in the final four. Oh man. It, foul trouble is going to be huge. Lack of depth worries me. Um, I mean, I like Nova, but you know, I go hate ahead. Nova. I mean, yeah. I, I've been open about that, but it happened a couple years ago and Dante DiVincenzo came out of nowhere. 
I don't know if you remember that in the final four. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen this year, but like I said, it's all going to come down to pace of play. And like you said, foul trouble, because if Nova can slow this game down and Kansas can't get out and run, they're not a dangerous half court offensive team. If Nova can slow the game down and not commit fouls, it's going to be a really tight game. Um, again, I'm not going to pick this game outright one way or the other. I, I think it's going to be a battle. I think it's going to be close. I think late in the game, Kansas is going to have to make some free throws. And I don't know if they can do that. Nova can make free throws late in the game. So I, the best player on the court, unfortunately, is Connor Gillespie. And he's the best leader on the court. So I think there's a path for Nova to win. A lot of people are picking against them. But if they're going to win this game, they're going to slow this game down to a crawl. I'm talking maybe even 20 seconds of possession, run that shot clock down. And I don't know if Kansas is equipped to handle that. Bill Self's a great coach. He might make an adjustment. Jay Wright's a great coach. He might make a counter adjustment. I think out of the two games, this is the better game to watch uh, from a competition standpoint. And I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, it's tough too, because my, my coach matchup, doesn't like it, 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 both Bill Self and Jay Wright are good coaches here, you know. So I can't really give an edge to. Yeah, there's no edge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that injury really hurts. I mean, you, you don't want to see Justin Moore, one of the best players on Nova, get hurt. Like that just that sucks, man. Especially if Nova loses, it's like what what, what could have been. No, I know. I mean, this season for Nova, Moore has been absolutely outstanding he's playing 83.8 percent of the minutes on the season 109.3 offensive rating that's nothing to scoff at I I mean yeah his effective field goal rate is 25th in the conference that's not crazy but he's a really really valuable player and more so offensively he brings it defensively on the perimeter which I think they're really going to miss but I have to follow my own advice and say pace of play matters. Free throw percentage matters. And this is a huge matchup for that. So that's the path for Nova. Excuse me. I ate some Doritos. I'm hiccuping. Um, That's the path for Nova. I I think if they're going to win this game, they're slowing this down to a crawl. And like you said, they're staying out of foul trouble. Yeah. And I think Kansas, they they obviously have to limit turnovers. I mean, that's it. Kansas, if, if they can force turnovers or miss shots, get in transition and run and limit turnovers, they'll win. Yep. But against Nova, that's a tall task. Cool. I mean, I'm, I'm fucking excited. That's going to be great on Saturday. No, I'm Just- hype. I'm, I'm sure the atmosphere is going to be great. I mean, it's in New Orleans. Can't think of a better setting. Um, what time do these games start to? Is it like 7, uh, 6.09 and 8.49? Yeah. Uh, Eastern time. Oh, okay. I mean, that's, that's acceptable. It's not like 10 PM, like the other games. That's, that's good. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm into it. Uh, we'll get into the, our predictions and bets and Finney's batting corner, but, uh, transitioning from college basketball and the final four to the NFL, we had a big week in the behind the scenes aspect of the NFL. The competition committee voted on a few rule changes. I'm just going to go over them real quick. The first big rule change is to overtime. Essentially, now each team will get the opportunity to possess the ball in overtime no matter what. Here's how the playoff overtime rule will work. 
Both teams must have the opportunity to possess the ball at least once during the extra period, unless the team kicking off to start the overtime period scores a safety on the receiving team's initial possession. Very interesting caveat. I don't think we're ever going to see that, but I digress. After each team has had an opportunity to possess the ball, if one team has more points than its opponent, it is the winner. So if you score a touchdown on the first possession, the other team gets the ball. If they score and kick an extra point, it's tied. The team that scored first will get the ball back. If the team that possesses the ball first does not score in its initial possession, or if the score is tied after each team had an opportunity to possess the ball, the next team scoring by any method should win. So after those first two possessions, it is sudden death. If the score is tied at the end of the 15-minute overtime or if the team's initial possession has not ended, another overtime period will begin, and that will be sudden death. Between each overtime period, there shall be a two-minute intermission, blah, blah, blah. We don't care about that. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty much it. There's Each team's going to get three timeouts instead of two timeouts. That's new. Um, but your thoughts on this? It, it essentially mends the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen situation we had last year. Yeah, I think part of me, now that they actually changed the rule, I'm just going to go full boomer on it and be like, yeah, back in my day, if you wanted to win the game, you had to play some defense when the other team got the ball. I think we're going to see teams kick off now and give the other team the ball first. Oh, oh yeah, because you'd rather know what you need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's the college thing. Like, if they score a touchdown, they could have scored a touchdown on the second possession too. So rather, exactly what you said, know what you need. If you stop them, you can kick a field goal, win the game. Yeah, I've been hearing some shit like if you're the team that scores first, it, like which coach would do this? Which coach would go for two, try to get it, and then force the other team to go for two the second time around? Like, the answer is John Harbaugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. the guy. He's the guy who would do it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so crazy. You miss it, and now all they have to do is kick an extra point. Yeah. But it's, it's such a gamble. That's, oh, my God, that's so great. Um, there was an, uh, two other, one other rule change and one other amendment. The free kick formation from last year is here to stay, which we saw it come into play a few times. You have to have a certain amount of people, eight on one side of the formation. So it's a specific rule that says you have to be nine or eight yards back from you know, the, the, the ball at the line of scrimmage, you can't get a running start. And there has to be a certain amount of guys on one side of the formation versus another. Doesn't matter which side it is. We saw a penalty on that a few times this year, actually. So it did come into play. Um, the Vikings did it in the Ravens game that they lost in overtime. But I don't know. Um, not really a, a big rule, but a rule change nonetheless. And, and I think this is really interesting. A new resolution summary proposed by Baltimore, Buffalo, Philadelphia, and Tampa that amends the anti-tampering policy in regards to secondary football executive positions. It now allows the employer club the choice to retain its player personnel staff through the annual selection meeting, which is what just happened. After the selection meeting through June 30th, the employer club is required to grant permission for another club to interview or hire a non-high-level executive. So like the Vikings, for example, their new GM would not have been allowed to take the job with the Vikings in the current timeline under this rule. Um, 
it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it kind of is a big deal. Like Jack Easterby for the Texans, uh, when he came from the Patriots, would have been in play. Their GM from the Patriots would have been in play. There's a couple other positions this year that got filled for GMs that would have been in play or like, you know, quality control personnel staff guys moving from one coaching staff to another coaching staff. So say a coach leaves one team and goes to another team. He can't bring those quality control guys or player personnel guys with him until after this deadline. If the club so chooses throws a little wrinkle in it, it's put into a, secure organizational stability and interclub fairness bro that rule sounds fucked up like yeah it's it's a little bit corny if you ask me yeah who what layman fan outside of like i don't know unless you listen to adam schefter like every day like you're his wife like who knows that rule no it's just me i was the only one that cared to read that far into that uh post bro isn't that crazy yeah, <laughs> it's it's me and Adam Schefter, and uh, you and, know and Rappaport. Yes, and Rappaport. But yeah. uh, NFL rule changes. The overtime one's clearly the big one. I don't really think it changes that much, to be honest with you. But it's interesting, and it's only for the playoffs. I didn't specify that. That is not a regular season rule. It is strictly for the playoffs. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Even though I joked about going full boomer on this, like it's great for the fans. Like you'd obviously want to see Josh Allen score another touchdown after Pat Mahomes did. And then, and then it's just like third touchdown wins it. Then it's sudden death after that, which is that, Oh God, I can't wait till we see this in action. Yeah. Oh, no, it'll be interesting in the playoffs for sure. More NFL news that came out. This all came out from Roger Goodell's address to the media and the meetings uh, this week between the owners Goodell hit on a lot of different stuff. He got a lot of questions. I do want to start on the new diversity rule. Um, and I'll get to the specifics, but they asked Goodell about his commitment to diversity. Speaking on diversity, and I quote, we've spent an awful lot of time, the most time on diversity and DEI policy, but there's not a single thing mentioned specifically when he says that. And he goes on with the rhetoric for a few minutes they ask him about the new rule or amendment to the Rooney rule, which basically states that one diversity hire has to be um, enforced on the quality control and or assistant coaching staff for offensive coaches. I think it's a good idea. Uh, it starts at a lower level position so that they can learn and train more. It's going to put more of an emphasis on hiring younger diversity candidates Goodell said, our focus and our work over the last several years on this, we looked at the Rooney Rule, policies and programs. We have complex issues today in the NFL as society does, and we're going to look at ways to improve it. So he basically said nothing. Majority of our hires come from the offensive side of the ball, and this policy gives us the opportunity to give new opportunities to new people. He basically passed the puck on other people that make the decision and said, yeah, it's kind of up to them, but this is the rule. It, it's a step in the right direction, but it, it's not, you know, the perfect solution to everything. And it really bothers me when he talks sometimes because he talks around in circles and makes you sound like if you're just surface listening, like, oh, okay, that sounds good. But then if you break down what he actually said, he said nothing. It, so, it, uh, yeah. That first sentence that Awful is the lot most of time the most time sounds like donald trump that's exactly that's we spent an awful lot of time we spent the most time on that like dude 
It's that he's saying nothing. He said we we all spent the whole day brainstorming and talking about diversity between ourselves in the meeting. That's cool. 32 white guys spent the day talking about diversity. Like what? Like how, what are you going to accomplish? Like, I don't know. And he said they're bringing in outside people, but then he put all the onus on the outside people. Like, oh, it's really up to them to fix this. No, fuck face. It's up to you and the owners to fix this. And this is a good rule. I'm not shitting on the rule. Like it's a great idea to have a diversity hire on the quality control and or player development or assistant coaching staff. It's a good idea. We'll see if it works. But um, instead of requiring an interview, it's requiring a hire, which is a step in the right direction. But I don't know if that's going to help Jerry Jones make some some diversity hires, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't uh, These mandate rules, too. And tell me if I'm out of line, Eric. It's just like I, I don't want it to lead to just like one person on the coaching staff just being like a token. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like they they should be the best person. And I'm, I, I know that there, there are the good people out there of all races that can coach. It's just like, I don't know. I, I don't I think, really know what to think about it. I think this rules in place to force these owners and coaches to sit in a room with an African-American man or any other diversity hire and understand them better and expose them. So when they do hire for a high level position or promote this guy, they feel connected and more engaged. I will say, there's about 45 people on the staff that do this job. So it's forcing them to hire one person. Isn't like, Oh my God, they're forcing their hand. It's not, there's a lot of people that do this job. I think at heart, it's a good idea and will lead to these owners interacting more with people of other races of diversities and creeds, whether they take advantage and learn something from that is completely another matter. But moving on to another statement on the Deshaun Watson situation, Goodell had this to say, obviously, these are serious charges. We're looking at this seriously. Cool. Awesome, Roger. We Another now have, nothing sentence. Yeah, nothing sentence. We now have, obviously, at least the resolution from the criminal side of it. Obviously, there are still civil charges that are going on. So our investigators hopefully will have access to more information. And that will be helpful, obviously, in getting to the conclusion of what the facts and was there a violation of the personal conduct policy. But that determination will be made by a joint disciplinary officer that was established by the NFLPA and the NFL. She will make that decision when the facts are all in, and we'll see. There's no time frame for that, and again, it's not my decision. Yeah, so he's passing the puck again. Like, he's like, hey, it's, it's her call, man. I don't fucking know. I'm not doing the investigation. No details. He can Nothing. definitely suspend players. Yeah, well, that's what he's saying. And, and they went on, and he was like, He's not going to be on the exempt list because there were no criminal charges. He can still be suspended, all the semantic stuff. And then he said on speaking to the women involved, they're the ones, the investigators, that met with some of the people that have information that we want to know. We will speak to everybody who could give us perspective and try to get to the bottom line and facts. No decision will be made until we have all the facts. He's passing the puck. He's doing a good job of it, but he's passing the puck to someone else who we don't know who the fuck he appointed to do this. It could be his mom for all we know. It's not, but like, we don't know how biased this is. We don't know how seriously, but what he's saying is basically, hey, don't blame me if this shit doesn't happen. He's already prepping us for nothing to happen. Yeah, 
it's like he suspended Tom Brady four games, and I think the Flategate's unanimous. It's like been defunct at this point. Suspended Tom Brady. What'd you say? No, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, it's like suspended Tom Brady. I think it was four games. Took him to fucking court. All that other shit over deflating footballs in a game where they blew out the other team. But he's not going to do anything here. I mean, I don't know. Fans definitely aren't happy. I mean, there's a sect of fans in uh, Cleveland that aren't happy about it. I'm sure there's fans all over the league that aren't happy about it. But I don't know. It just seems like he's is he just deciding to not suspend players anymore? No, what he's saying is it's not my call. It's the call of the person that I appointed to do this. Oh, so he has like a private investigator, basically. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I but, mean, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, man. Twenty-three women. You're gonna tell me twenty-three women are saying that this didn't happen, or I'm sorry, that are lying and this didn't happen. Like, I get it. Maybe not every woman involved has a legitimate case. Twenty-three women, and he's got forty massage therapists in a five-year span. Something's going on. And you better figure out what the fuck's going on. Because I understand no criminal charges. If there's not enough evidence to put someone in jail or charge them criminally, fine. That's the legal system and the justice system. I don't understand it. I'm not a lawyer. And I get that side of it. But if even one of these cases is settled in civil court and that woman gets money from Deshaun Watson, that is an admission of guilt. He needs to be suspended. And yeah. we have to send a message yeah. that this kind of behavior isn't okay. Like, this is a pivotal moment, and I like Deshaun Watson and I, as a player, and I hope I get to watch him for the Browns because they deserve a good quarterback, but he needs to be held accountable for what he did. And the fact that he's outright denying everything. It's wild. I'm not in the room. Again, I don't know what happened, okay? Is it plausible that he's telling the truth? I guess it's not plausible to me because I don't think 23 women would lie. And if it was your mom or your sister and they were saying it, I'm sure as hell that you would defend them. So keep an open mind on this. We need to see where this goes because he's already deferring saying, oh, it's someone else's decision, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. I I know we're in the the opinion business, but it's like, I I really don't know. So I'm just going to trust whoever gets appointed. So that's where as a viewer, I guess I, I just, we just have to wait and see. That's um, kind of a bad spot to be in. But speaking yeah. of people that are appointed to things, he was asked about the Stephen Ross, Brian Flores case on both the racial side and the cheating side, the throwing game side. Um, I forget the way he phrased it. It was uh, integrity of the game. He said, I'm not doing that investigation. Mary Joe White is doing that investigation. There's no timetable for that decision. I don't know. Dude, this guy get paid, gets paid $40 million a year. What does he do? He appoints Mary Jo White to do stuff. Also, interesting caveat here. About a month and a half ago, I did a big segment on the Washington football team slash commanders slash R-words who had an investigation open against them. Mary Jo White was leading that investigation. Well, now she's on this one, so she must be done, but I didn't hear out the Washington football team one. Oh, I didn't no, hear didn't. anything, but now she's already on another case. So she must have wrapped that up nice and tight. It's disgusting. You know what I hear, Eric? I just hear the broom sweeping that under the rug. Yeah, the NFL's doing what they always do. And and I'm sure all the African-American coaches with gripes will get absolutely nothing out of this and nothing will change because they changed one little rule. So I guess that was enough. <sighs> This is wild, man. The last big thing I do want to hit on. Roger Goodell 
And I quote, when asked about Dan Snyder and the Washington football team, they're the commanders. I'm going to keep calling them the Washington football team. Uh, Dan Snyder has not been involved in day-to-day operations. I don't believe he's been at the facility at all. And we continue to have league matters. Tanya, his wife, has represented the team as the CEO on both day-to-day basis, but also here at the league. She represented the club at the annual league meeting. That will continue at least for the foreseeable future. Dan and I will talk about that at some point. Shouldn't you have already already talked to him about it? Shouldn't you have already talked about it? And that will continue for the foreseeable future. So what is he in fucking timeout for sexually harassing people? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, they put him in timeout because he took pictures of naked women against their consent. But he's in timeout right now. In the meantime, his wife's going to show up to the meeting. He's not allowed in the facility. He might not even have a key. What the fuck is this shit, dude? I'm sorry I'm getting so mad, but it's like he thought that that was okay to say. He thought that was an acceptable answer to give to that question. And the audacity to say that, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. They basically said with Mary Jo White on this other investigation, oh, it's over. We're not going to show you the emails. We're not going to tell you what happened. Just trust us that we did what we want. Oh, and by the way, Dan might be back. Like, he might be allowed to come back. At least for the foreseeable future, he's not. So, like, outside of you bringing this up, like, is ESPN, I haven't seen anything, like, on like the NBC sports stuff. Like, is anyone even talking about this press conference? No, because why would they? It would hurt the league. Like, why would NFL Network's owned by the NFL? They're not going to talk about it. I mean, shout out Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen works for the NFL Network and did talk about it because Rich Eisen is a fucking professional and he's a great guy. But this show is on Peacock too. It is on Peacock, but it's NFL Network. So like it is owned by the NFL and he doesn't give a shit. He's going to talk about it anyway because he's a stand-up man. But there are people talking about it. There's just not enough people talking about it. It should be the lead on these headlines that he said Snyder might be able to come back. He's at least out for the foreseeable future. The man's a sexual assaulter and a rapist by all accounts. Why is he allowed to come back? And why is his wife, why is that okay that she's the CEO? Like, I I just don't get any of this, man. It it infuriates me. I mean, the, the simple explanation is, Goodell is a front man for the owners and the owners don't want to hold one of their own accountable, but we as the public should hold him accountable. Um, And by the way, his stadium's falling apart, almost ruined Jalen Hurts' career. It's leaking raw sewage and his team's gone under two name changes in the last five years. Oh God, he needs to, can you force an owner to sell the team? I know we've talked about that. We could kill him. Like, hey, anyone out there, Barry style, that's a hitman. I disavow. Finney disavows. I'm putting a hit out on Dan Snyder. I will give you one Costco-sized box of Oreos and, and two a, boxes of white cheddar uh, Annie's mac and cheese. And a piece of merch. And a piece of merch. And a piece of merch. But I disavow. I, I kill not, Dan Snyder. I will not be caught up in this conspiracy charge. No, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, someone's going to, like, catch her in the ride, John Lennon, this podcast, and, like, must kill Dan Snyder. <laughs> Moving on from murdering a person to murdering our bets this weekend, uh, Finney's betting corner. We went over the games from a statistical breakdown. Who do you like this weekend? 
I mean, we've been going against Duke all tournament, so I'm going to ride with Duke here. Um, I talked about it in the open. I think they just have a better team. So minus four seems seems like they can cover that. Um, in, in all honesty, though, if UNC won, I would be a little surprised, but it's the final four. These are the last four teams that made it. So um, we'll see. And then I'm going to lean Kansas Moneyline, the five in that game, especially when you talked about free throws, the five points worries me. So I, I would just go money line on that, parlay those two together. I don't know. It might be like plus 175. I, I don't really know what the line will be, but um, parlay those two together. Have a, have a good Saturday night. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder there because I'm going Duke minus four and I'm going to vomit when I say this. I'm taking Nova plus five. And it's free throws. Like, I, I, if I had to bet money line one way or the other, I'd take Kansas. I don't think the odds are good enough. And, like, Nova plus five, if this is – I think it's a close game. And if we're late in the game and Kansas has to hit free throws and Nova's chucking threes, it could be a five-point game with ten seconds left. Nova's going to take a three and try and get it to two. Like, I, I just – I don't think Kansas can make enough free throws down the stretch to win by five or more. Yeah, it – that that spread does worry. I I, I kind of like the Nova plus five, but if I'm going to put money on it, I would just say parlay it with Duke, Duke, Kansas, let it ride. Again, I, I think we're going to know the Nova Kansas game in the first five minutes. If Nova's successfully slowing the pace down and Kansas looks frustrated, then I think we're in for a close game. And if we're in for a close game, I like Nova plus five. I might even, Maybe like Nova to win, but I'm I'm 50 50 on it. So like rather than taking the Kansas money line where I'm unsure, I'm pretty sure at Nova plus five, I like that. But like are you gonna be are we gonna be sweating out Duke minus four? I don't reality, think so. Like- I, I think Duke wins this game by like 10. I, I think it's close to the last like seven minutes and then Duke starts to pull away because I, I do think UNC might start hot, but they're not going to make threes all game and they're not going to score inside on Duke. I I just don't think Baycott's going to be able to, to get buckets inside. And, you know, last seven minutes of a game, defense clamps down, three-point shots aren't going in. Remember, they're playing in a football stadium and it's harder to shoot the ball when there's no backdrop behind the basket. That's not a theory anymore. It happens every Final Four. So a team that shoots a lot of threes and doesn't make a lot of threes dissimilar to Nova who shoots a high percentage from three UNC is a volume team. They might be missing some shots in that game from three. And I think over the last seven minutes, Duke will pull away, slow the pace down. Right. Okay, cool. I'm, 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 I like my pick. So let's ride with it. And we could both theoretically win on that. No, I I think the way that this goes is we both win. Like I think Kansas wins the game, but not by five points. Cool. We'll see. Let's check it out. All right, brother. That brings us to NBA rapid fire. You want to lead me in? Should I set the timer, babe? Should I set the timer? Set that damn timer. You ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one. Get after it. All right, guys, we are in the final stretch of the NBA season. Most teams have seven games or less remaining. It's the closest race in the Eastern Conference we've ever had. All the top teams in the conference are separated by just two games. Boston's two games behind Miami at the four. Same with the Sixers at the three. Uh, the Bucks are a game behind the Heat right now at the two. 
Boston lost to Miami last night, 106-98. They look like a different team without Robert Williams. Uh, not necessarily defensively, but Miami still got 106 on them, and they're not the best offensive team. Williams is, like I said, a 9.9 win share player. It's looking like he might come back sooner than later, but how good is he going to be when he comes back on a torn meniscus? Is he going to be 100%? Is he going to be 70%? We saw with Embiid in the playoffs last year on a torn meniscus that he just wasn't the same. He wasn't moving the same offensively, defensively. They need a full-strength Robert Williams to compete. And they might slide. Although if you're Boston, you kind of want to be the four seed right now because you play the Bulls in the first round and then you draw the Sixers likely in the second round if they can get past the Cavs, which I think they can. The Sixers have the easiest remaining schedule of any team left. They play the in the East top four teams. They play the Pistons tonight. They play them again at the end of the season. It's likely at this point, I think, that the Sixers might squeeze into the one or the two seed. I don't want the one seed. I don't want to play Brooklyn in the first round. That is for sure. I'd honestly rather be the four seed uh, or the three seed, but we'll see how it plays out. The Bucks and Nets play tonight. That's a huge game. If the Bucks win, the Hawks could theoretically still slide into the eighth seed. Right now, they're half game out of the ninth seed, and they're only a game back of the Nets for the eighth seed. I said the Hawks might catch fire late in the season. They have a little bit here down the stretch. I think that they could move on up the rankings. I mean, if the Nets win tonight against the Bucks, that's good for the Sixers. They'll move a half game closer to the Bucks, but at what cost? Yada, yada, yada. We've already been over it, but Nets lose tonight. Hawks win the night. They're tied. Hawks own the tiebreaker. They're the eighth seed in the East. Interesting to watch. The last thing I want to talk about is James Harden thus far with the Sixers. It's been 14 games. We have a solid sample size of what we're going to see from him. He's averaging 37.8 minutes per game. He's averaging 14.1 field goal attempts per game. That's a pretty good sample size. Well, how's he doing? 41.4% from the field. Not very good. 32.6% from three. Not very good. 88% from the line. That's good. 1.5 steals, 9.6 assists, 7.4 rebounds. Those are pretty good stats. He is averaging 3.3 turnovers a game and only 22.7 points. His box minus is only 4.2. His true game score is 21.2. That's a basketball reference stat. It, It looks good, but it doesn't look great. And if you're watching Harden play all the time, his explosiveness that he used to have, driving to the basket, making cuts, making plays over the middle of the court, it's just not there. He's going to have to rely on craftiness. I'm not saying it's sound the alarms for the Sixers on Harden. I'm just saying it's looked more like Brooklyn Harden from the beginning of the year than it has Houston Harden, which I was expecting to get. And I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned with the Sixers roster build right now, moving into the playoffs when they have to play a lot of half court and can't run Embiid through the post. I can just see a double team running at Embiid now and him panicking and turning the ball over. That's not how he's been all year. The playoffs are a different animal and running through the post in the playoffs is a problem. We've seen Harden struggle in the playoffs. He's not the best playoff performer, but that being said, if Maxi can step up, if Furkan can start making some shots, if the bench can step up and add some depth to the Sixers roster and take some pressure off of Harden, I think this team can still make a finals. I don't know if they could beat a team like Phoenix, but hey, we're going to see. Minute 18, so about 20 seconds faster than normal. I think we got to set the timer to four minutes from here on out. All, no right. More. All right, deal. Give me a, you got to gotta move the needle on me, man. Exactly, exactly. But so I want to touch on the Sixers real quick. Since since you've been watching, it has been a little, you know, I've been talking to James on the side too. He's like a little bit of an anti-Sixers guy. But like, how has the rest of the team been playing since he's been around? Is he like a cancer to teams that he goes to? Like, has Maxi been falling off? Has No, Maxi's gotten, 
exponentially better since Harden got there. He's clearly learned some things. It's taken some pressure off of him as a creator. He's playing really well. Like Harden has helped the bench too. Because remember, they lost Curry and Drummond. The Sixers bench issue is they got to play DeAndre Jordan or Paul Millsap. And that's a problem. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and like 42% and 32%, like are those like actually bad numbers shooting the ball? I mean, it's not bad for like an average NBA player, but it's bad for James Harden. What's the reason for that? More pressure on him? He's. I think his explosiveness just isn't there. Like, there's not a huge threat of him driving to the hoop as there used to be because he can't get by guys. I mean, in the Phoenix game, I talked about it the other night. They were having um, like eight and guard him at the perimeter sometimes, and then Paul shading him, and it was working. So I don't know. Maybe it's the hamstring. Maybe he has lingering soft tissue stuff. I- I'm really not sure. It could just be complacentness and him just not trying right now. I don't think that's the case. We're going to find out in the playoffs. Like, yes, 14 games is a sample size. That's why I said we can make an assessment now. And it's been Brooklyn Harden, not Houston Harden. Right. But it's not a huge sample size. And in a playoff series where he's more comfortable and the Sixers are starting to figure things out, they have some tune-up games coming. I mean, Pistons twice. They play the Raptors, which is a solid test, but nothing crazy. They're going to play the Magic in that span. There's not a lot of big games left on their schedule. The Raptors are the only team over 500 they have left to play. So I, we're going to figure out a lot about the Sixers. All right. Seven more games left, you said. So we're right, we're, we're right there. Home stretch. Yes, sir. Um, I do want to transition into a brand new segment on this podcast. If you are on the Instagram at uh, the good underscore soup underscore blog, you saw that we put up an email uh, request for people to write into the show. Give us your thoughts. Give us your feelings on the show. We're going to debut that segment right now and read some emails live on air. I'm, I'm actually excited for this. I haven't heard any of them, so <laughs> let's go. All right. First one is from good friend, uh, international criminal, friend of Russia, Matt. Uh, he says, breaking news. New bombshell evidence in the Gishane Maxwell trial reveals details that have changed everything. Contrary to popular belief, it has been confirmed that Epstein did kill himself because he was a Vikings fan. He is finally relieved of his suffering. God bless him. And then there's a picture of like the flags of our father's statue with like a superimposed American flag and a soldier. Oh my God. I also got another email from Matt. Now, this one's going to be tough to do on the podcast because he sent me a bunch of pictures because I I don't know if Matt doesn't know how podcasts work, but like I can't show these. But uh, he sent me a picture of man bun rankings. Number one, Aaron Rodgers, picture of Aaron Rodgers. Number two, Aquaman with a picture of Jason Momoa, not dressed as Aquaman. Number three, Ricky Rubio, who kind of looks like me. Number four, Eric Campbell, and it's just Donald Trump with a bun. (laughs) And then number five, Colin Farrell, within parentheses, please kill yourself, Colin. Oh, my God. Yo, these are great. Keep going. We got a write-in from Milo. His was serious. This one is a two-parter. Number one, what would your ideal football roster be made up of current NBA players? Offense only. Let's say one QB, one tight end, one running back, two to three wide receivers. I'm just going to do this as quick as I possibly can. QB1, Kevin Love, throws a great outlet pass. 
can clearly throw the football. Um, would love to see it. Tight end number one, going Steven Adams. I mean, he's going to box anyone out and go up and get the ball. I know that's not the conventional pick, but he is the best rebounder in the league. And I think, you know, the Tony Gonzalez mold of leading the NCAA in rebounds could be a move. Um, RB1, this is tough. I'm going to go Anthony Edwards. Probably the most athletic guy in the uh, the NBA right now. I, I feel like he could tear it up. And then two to three wide receivers. I'll go John Morant because um, of that play he made where he caught the ball with one hand and put a shot up. Seems like he'd, he'd tear it up. He's an athlete. And, uh, boy, I got to dig deep here. Go. Uh, not Russ. I don't know. I don't know. Give me another wide receiver, Finn, from NBA roster. These are active guys? Yeah, active guys. Um, that's going to be a bad pick. Maybe like Jason Tatum? I, don't, I mean, these guys are like 6'8". These would be the biggest wide receivers ever in the NFL. These are like Calvin Johnson levels. Yeah, that's why I picked Morant. I think he's shifty. He's got speed. Um, like, could I pick – okay, tight end LeBron. Okay. Wide receiver Giannis. Yeah, Giannis. Uh, Giannis is a good pick. Um, who else do we got? Quarterback? <sighs> I guess Kevin Love, but – Damn, dude, this is tough. Yeah, I think Kevin loves the quarterback pick because of the outlet passes. Honestly, like, I would pick LeBron at every position. Just Yeah, that's fair. Line, that's, you know? that's fair. <laughs> but that's also, fair. I'm thinking, like, Miami Heat 2012, 2013 LeBron. This LeBron. I, I'm telling you, nine, the but... running back is Anthony Edwards. Yeah. I, I think it is Anthony Edwards. I, I don't think that's even a question. I mean, dude, like all of the all like a lot of NBA guys, I think would be pretty decent at football. They probably wouldn't like getting hit, but. And I will say, he asked the converse: What would your ideal basketball starting five be made up of NFL players? Um, I'm gonna go Rico Gathers from the Cowboys. <laughs> Don't think he's in the league anymore. He was really good at Baylor in college. Can we just cheat and pick all guys that played basketball in college? Um, yes, Jimmy Graham. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Graham. Uh, Rico Gathers. Um, I'm going to go Trent Brown because he's 6'9", like two, uh, 370. Like, I'm sure he could bang down low. I don't know how much basketball skill he has, but he's as big as Shaq, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I was about to say that, like a Shaq lookalike, just dominating in the low post. Yeah, I don't know who's chucking up threes. Um, maybe I'll go Tyreek Hill just because he could probably get to the hoop. Like, even if he can't shoot, he can definitely get to the hoop. Have him be your shifty point guard, just, like, yeah. running All around creator. everyone. Yeah. That's four. Um, we need one more. Um, Odell? No. I know he's, I know, I know he's, he's injured. He's a soccer but... guy. Oh, okay, true, true. Hmm. Joe Burrow played basketball. Yeah, Joe Burrow. Let's go Joe Burrow. You got to have a leader on the court. Good. Dude. That's it. Thank <laughs> you, Milo. Fire, he fire signed off by saying, thanks, boys. And the last email is just from Chris. I'm going to be honest. I don't recognize the Gmail. Uh, Chris, if you want to write back in and tell me who you are, great. If not, great. All this email said was, get a haircut, you stupid hippie. So thanks. <laughs> 
This is someone that knows you in real life. Yeah, this is someone who knows me in real life. It may or may not have made a fake email to write this in, but uh, thanks. Not going to do it. Um, my response would be blow me. But yeah, no, uh, that was our first email segment. Uh, How long is the, the hair right now, Eric? What? How long is the hair right now? Almost down to my butt. Really? Yeah, oh, it's very going, long. You're going like full Jesus level. I love it. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm, some would call me the basketball Jesus, even though our men's league team lost by 40 last night. Guys were dunking. Yeah, it was bad. It was really Ooh. bad. I mean, listen, the, we haven't played together as a team. It's going to take a while to get the chemistry going. I might have to take more of a coaching uh, aspect of this team. I almost got into like a fight with a kid, not almost, but like we were arguing because he was just being a dickhead the whole game. Like we get it, dude, you're up 40. Stop talking shit. And I may or may not have fouled him so hard that he fell to the floor. Um, but, you know, sometimes you got to get a little physical. Let everyone know that you're a Sigma male. Where do they, where do they play these games at? in philly uh it's not in philly it's in the suburbs i'm not going to give out the location in case dan snyder comes to kill me uh but it's in the suburbs it's suburban heyday uh league through philly and uh yeah it didn't go well last night but you know we got a 10 30 p.m game next wednesday uh at an undisclosed location all right you'll have to let us know man (laughs) hey when we win a game i'm gonna let you know I made one, I went one for five from three. I I also airballed a three. It was, it was pretty bad. I didn't set my feet, feet too close together. Just kind of pulled it. Hey, shoot to stay hot, man. This place didn't have a water fountain. And when I asked the woman like, Hey, do you have a water fountain? She got pissed off at me. I'm like, dude, how is that not a valid question? Yeah. At a gym, no water fountain. It's got Hmm. five basketball courts, but you don't have a fucking water fountain. They have a Gatorade machine though, that I can pay $3 for a Gatorade. There you go. The business model. Yeah. All you need to know. But uh, that was the email segment. We're going to close on this day in sports history. April 1st, 1991. The 53rd NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. Duke beats Kansas 72-65. It is the Blue Devils' first title. Power forward Christian Leitner was the most valuable player. Most outstanding player. Maybe a little... uh run it back uh, how many years later maybe is, is that what's gonna happen on monday i think we both have that so yeah it, it could very well happen um interesting that it was today i don't have any april fool's jokes for you um i'm sorry i didn't really think about that i, I was gonna come off the top and tell everyone i had a kid but that, oh, that's, nice. that's yeah didn't do fucked it up man a you don't need bit. to bring a kid into this world I know. Fuck me. But what's the email if people want to send some emails in? Yes. Um, the email is goodsoup.film.blog at gmail.com. If you guys want to email in, we're going to keep doing this on the Friday pod. So if you get the email in Thursday night by 6 p.m., we will read your email for sure. And uh, yeah, keep it classy. Looking at you, oh, man. No. I-, I want to get roasted. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the point. We, we want to get roasted. Um, I feel like I took the roast harder than you this week, but that's fine. That's fine, you know. We'll get it going. Oh, yeah. I mean, once we go uh, film-based, once we have something on YouTube, oh, my God, I'm going to get flamed so hard. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. But uh, I think that's a show. 
That's it, baby. We're almost under an hour again, too. I love it. Heck yeah. Don't forget, we got Zach Fisher coming on Monday to do a full MLB baseball preview. It's going to be great. There's a lot of work going into the show. Uh, I know Zach's been working his butt off. I'm going to do some work on, you know, some some more analytical stuff from fan graphs. We're going to have a great show for you. Get you ready for opening day, which is next week. And, and Eric, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm actually going to learn baseball this year. I'm going to learn some shit. I think I'm going to be the most improved on the podcast when it comes to baseball. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, I follow it. Yeah. I, I like the idea of like their series. I didn't know it was split up into like series versus teams. Like that's, that kind of blew my mind. So what you didn't know that. I mean, I knew there's like series, but I didn't know like the count and that's how like the schedules created and that type of shit. I yeah. know, I know how the NFL schedules created, but the baseball stuff, I've always been just a super casual baseball fan, but I'm going to get into it this year. Hell yeah. Uh, I love to hear that. Um, yeah, we're going to get into it Monday. Also, to clean up, the U.S. men's national team officially qualified for the World Cup, Finney. So, big news for you. Let's go. Christian Pulisic, man. Hershey PA. Lost oh, and um, we Lost also got to clean up, clean up really quick. Bruce Arian stepped down. Yeah. Todd so. Bowles. Yep. Passed it temple to temple, baby. We love to see it. Love it. Love it. Um, All righty. But, yeah. U.S. team lost 2 nothing and still qualified on aggregate goals, which feels terrible, but, you know, whatever. I'll take it. We're in. We're in. That's all that matters. We're in. Yeah, that's it. And uh, if you have free moments Saturday, it's competing with the Final Four for some reason, but WrestleMania is on Kevin Owens versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So that's going to be great. It's going to be electric. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to watch it over the final four, but we shall see. I'm going to have to do an obligatory smash some beers and just do a, do a, just a beer, just shower in my yeah. house. Gotta I mean, that glass it. is going to shatter and it's going to be epic in there, but yeah, that's awesome. That's your weekend Sweet. coming up in sports guys. Um, All righty. Have a great been, weekend, everyone. Yeah. We've been the victory formation podcast. As always, if you like us, check us out on Apple podcasts and Spotify. That's probably how you're here. Also check out the Instagram good underscore soup underscore blog and keep up with everything. Good soup. We'll see y'all on Tuesday. Peace. Peace.